I'm Pastor JP. Welcome. We are so glad you are checking us out online. We hope the word you're about to hear is an encouraging point in your life today. So we're praying for you. We love you. Stay tuned. Hey, so over the past, uh, the end of June and July, it's been a really busy month for us. And so ironically enough, it being a little warm in here, we're accustomed to it being at camp and stuff. And so Hey, God has been doing some incredible things in our students. And how many of you know that God is not, it doesn't like think any less of you because of your age. In fact, he's a generational God and he's a, there's no junior Holy Spirit. There is no little Jesus. There is the full-fledged, all of power in heaven wants to invade anyone that is hungry and anyone that's open. And so a group of these students said, hey, look, sign me up. I may not understand all of it, but if God, if you will meet me here, then I will come. And so they have some incredible testimonies. And so I'm going to have them come up and share. And I would ask you to try to hold your applause and not get too loud until they're over. Because not only are they going to share a testimony, they're probably going to prophesy and preach and declare. And if you feel something from the Lord, at that point, you can go ahead and shout. And so Kelly Jackson is going to be our first one. So Kelly, come up here and go ahead. Um, my name is Kaylee Jackson. I'm going into ninth grade. While I was at camp, God changed my life by giving me self-confidence and letting me know I'm not alone. Also, I found out whatever you put in is whatever you get out. So if you don't put a lot in, that's how much you'll get out. Because of that, I put in a lot and I got a lot back. Before camp, I struggled with self-doubt and not feeling like I'm enough and hating myself for being short. The Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The reality is that there will be difficult times, but God promises to be our refuge when buildings crumble and our world is shaken. God has not failed us. He has promised to be with us in the middle of tragedy. Psalms 46, 1 through 3. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. Yeah, come on. Okay, so listen, the Larson boys. Yeah, we love the Larson boys. So a little bit of context here. Uh, the Larson boys were in a baseball tournament, and so while they signed up for camp, they weren't going to be able to make it because they, were, they played competitive baseball. And so I secretly prayed that they would lose, even though we want them to win. I would rather them go to camp. So unfortunately, they did lose. Fortunately, they did make it to camp. Listen, the story gets even crazier. On their way to the bus stop, the, the Larsons actually got in a car accident. Now, everyone was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't serious, but Pastor Brian had to leave the church at the the last minute, drive over, pick them up, bring them back to the church so we could throw them and their luggage, stuff them into the van so that we could get them to camp. And let me tell you something, it was well worth it. So go ahead. All right. So hello, my name is Drew and I'm going into the seventh grade. Well, I went, um, while I went, sorry, whenever I went to camp, my focus was getting filled with the Holy Spirit. On the second day, I was. That night changed my life forever. If God can do it for me, then he can do it again. She step of, if she take a step toward God, and you can, then he'll st take steps towards you. Come on. That's right. Come on. Hey, y'all. My name is Logan Law, and I'm in the eighth grade. While I was at Summit, God gave me reassurance. Before Summit, I would compare my testimony to others' testimonies and think that it wasn't good enough because I grew up in church and I never had this big turnaround moment in my life. During an altar call, they talked about how your relationship with God is your relationship with God. Everyone has different situations that they go through, and you go through them for a reason. 
I know that my testimony is my testimony, and it has an important purpose. The Bible says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell the light so that everyone might believe of his testimony. John himself was not the light, but he was a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light, was coming into the world. John 1, 6 through 9. If God could use John's testimony, then he could use mine. And if he can use mine, he can definitely use yours. Larson number two. Hi, my name is Gabe Larson, and I'm going into seventh grade. And the time I was at Camp Jackson changed my life. I always thought about what people were thinking about me. At first, I was always thinking about myself, what I looked like, how I acted, and who I hung around with. But at camp on the third night, people started praying for me, and then I started praying to God. And God filled me with the Holy Spirit, and he showed me that only his opinion matters yeah. about me, and that I am made in his image, yeah. and that he cares about me. And to this day, I know that I can worship and praise him and be myself everywhere I go and only care about his opinion. Now I know that God can save me and that he can also save you because he loves everyone and everyone matters to him. Yeah, come on. That's good. Come on. Hi, my name is Ryder Vick, and I'm going into ninth grade. During youth camp, God helped me to be my true self. Before camp, I was scared of what people would think of me. In my mind, I was dancing, but in my body, I was still. But during youth camp, everything changed. I could dance without being afraid. I could sing without people staring at me. And after youth camp, to this day, I still dance and sing no matter what people think of me. The Bible says, in everything you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. And I am free from what people think of me, and with God I will stay free. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. Come on. Hello, my name is Katie Kill. I'm going to my freshman year of high school. I've always struggled with anxiety to the point it held me back a lot. On Monday, Pastor Jason prayed for me, and I've not felt it since. On Tuesday, I was able to worship better than I ever have before. I felt something pulling me down to my hands and knees. I had a conversation with God, and he showed me guidance and answered questions I've had for years and explained to me that my future is on his timing, not mine. And when I got up, I was a different person. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Trust God's plan. He has a larger one than you can imagine. Yes, come on. Hi, my name is Lucy, and I'm going in the eighth grade. This week at Youth Summit, God helped me just be able to find more joy in life. And before Summit, I had trouble being happy. But during worship, God filled me, and after that first night, I've just been able to be happier. Psalm 35 says that those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will ever darken their faces. If we look for help in him, he can make us happy and help us stay that way. If God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Yes. My name is Chloe, and I'm in ninth grade. I attended youth camp and summit this year, and... Um, and God has done a lot within the past few weeks. At camp, I asked God what my calling to serve him was. Nothing happened. I was scared. I tried to hide my tears because I was ashamed of not getting an answer. Next thing I knew, I felt something grab my attention. I looked up and saw a huge brick wall in front of me that had a word painted on it in blue. I've been questioning my future for years, guessing what would come. When we're little, we imagine being a music artist or a mechanic, but we grow up to learn what God teaches and guides us to. About a week later at Youth Summit on a Tuesday night, I signed my friend's name on a chair saying that I would bring him to Summit with me the next night. I waited a year for him to get saved, and that moment finally came. 
He thanked me after service for bringing him up for bringing him that night. You see, that brick wall said missions on it. I had been called to missions. I found my meaning and I answered it, for my missions journey has begun. Every step you take towards God, he'll take a step towards you. Hey. Hi, my name is Gabby. I'm going into into seventh grade. Before camp, I was nervous to worship and praise at the altar. After camp and summit, God freed me from that. The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every, but in every situation, by prayer and petitions, petition, petition present, your, your request, your request, request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart, your mind, in Jesus Christ. Philippians Four, four, six, six through seven. If God can do the do it, do it for me. He can do it for you. Hey, and then and then you know, at if Noah, you want to come up. We, you know, as we minister to students, guess what? As a leader, as a volunteer, you get ministered to. While God is touching students' lives, when you put your hand to the plow to something, God does something with you. I have come to find that God does not leave you empty, ever. And so I want Noah to, as a, he came and served, at, he probably would have been there at youth camp. He came every night at youth summit and did everything under the sun, whether it was moving chairs, trying to pep talk up students, throw dodgeballs, take dodgeballs, or even like run the sound and stuff. And so while he was really busy, God still did something incredible in his life. So I heard a wise man say that if I can just get this message that's in my heart out, then it'd be really powerful. And that's kind of where I'm at today because things get lost in translation. But this last month, I've had two things I've really been praying for. One is for healing for my body, and that's for myself. And the second one is for the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, and that is for the lost. You know, my relationship, my personal relationship with the Lord right now is at an all-time high. So I have this real confidence when I step in and I pray and I ask for healing that I can receive. And when He doesn't answer my prayer, it's not that I doubt God's ability. It's that I look at my heart. I go into my warehouse and I check my inventory. I see what I've got stocked up. What sin did I not confess? What relationship do I need to get worked out? You know, Noah, you only, you only prayed 30 minutes last night. If you really love the Lord, you would have prayed for an hour. Noah, you only read one chapter last night. If you really love the Lord, you would have read the whole book. And so I had this, like, storm within me. And uh, one day we were, we were coming to church. Sunday morning we were coming to church. And the Holy Spirit showed me a tree. And it wasn't like the bottom or the top. It was like midway. And you could see the tree and you could see the branches coming off the tree. And uh, I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, why are you showing me this? And I seen an axe hit the tree. And right then and there, I knew what, was, what he was trying to say to me. The Holy Spirit was telling me, he was like, Noah, that sickness in your body, you hit it. That axe hit that branch, and it's going to be cut off your body, but you got to keep swinging. Why he wants me to do that, I don't know. But see, I thought I was missing, and I thought that I was nowhere near where I needed to be, and I, and I had that confidence. And, and I know telling you that, you're probably like, well, no, I'm going to pray for you, and that's really awesome, and I appreciate that. But see, Wednesday night, Pastor Jason kind of said what he was going to do today, and he said that he was going to have the kids come up and speak, and as soon as he said that, my heart just poured out of my chest, and I was like, man, I really want to say something. And... 
I decided that I, after everything was done, I was going to come up to him and I was going to talk to him and say, hey, if you got a couple minutes, um, let me speak. And that opportunity never really uh, opened up. That night and that morning, it's all I could think about was this moment right here. That morning, Thursday morning, I was going to text him, and I was, like, really excited, and I was like, hey, I was going to text him and say, hey, if you got some time, I got something to say, I really want to say it. But then I started thinking, well, maybe I'm just in this emotion. Maybe I'm caught up with it because I'm passionate. You know, Pastor Jason knows what he's doing, and, he, and he's, he's directed by God, and things are going to work out. And if the Lord really wants me to speak this, then Pastor Jason's going to come up to me, and he's going to ask me to speak. <laughs> so Thursday, morning, or Thursday evening, I get here to help out, and we have a meeting. And then Pastor Jason says, hey, I'd really like for you to speak Sunday. So I punched him in the arm, and I told him, I was like, I really appreciate you. That's my favorite thing about you. And the reason is, is because evidence of the Spirit in his life. I love that. So I tell you that because I, I received that message, but the Lord put that on my heart. And so I don't know who that's out here for today, but it's here. And, and, and it's for somebody. The second thing was my second prayer was for the uh, be baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Because of the doors that have opened up in my life, I have a, a real desire not to ever walk around empty. You never know who you're going to talk to or speak to, and I always want to have something for them. And uh, so in, I, I was praying last Friday night, and I was praying, and I told the Lord, I said, you know, you haven't baptized me with the Spirit yet, and I may not be walking around in power yet, Lord, but there's going to be times that are going to present themselves and I'm going to have to lay my hands on somebody. And I don't want it to be my hands. I want it to be your hands. Because, see, when your hands touch somebody, there's a virtue that flows out of there into their body. And they're in need, and they're in hope, and I need you. And Saturday, I prayed about it again, and that was kind of it. Sunday morning, when I came in here, and at the end of the service, my pastor said, you know what, we're going to do a little something different today. And he had this pool right here. And he said, I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to anoint some hands. I lost it. I lost it. Who else but God can do that? There were some people that came up here and they got their hands anointed. There's disciples all in this church right now. My verse today to coincide with everything right here. says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I'm going to the Father, and I just pray that the power of God be displayed in this house today. Thank you. Come on. Can we give it up for our students? You guys can go sit down. You are awesome. Y'all go ahead and sit down. You guys keep me young. I love it. Hey, God is doing some incredible, incredible things through camp and through Summit they had an opportunity to um, write out on these testimony cards, and I, my office is full of cards of things that the Lord said to them and things that God is doing in them. And let me, let me tell you that if you are hungry for the Lord uh, and you respond to that, God will fill you. And one of the things I love about uh, middle and high school kids is it takes a little bit of an encouragement to get them there, but once they get there, you can't keep up with them. You can't keep up with them. Once they taste and see of the goodness of God, there's something, there's something so precious and pure and holy that happens on the inside of them. And oftentimes, I think as an older person, well, that's just for a younger generation. But let me tell you something. God never called you to calm down. 
Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see God say, calm down. He did call you to grow up. But growing up doesn't mean we have to lose our zeal for Jesus. In fact, we should be louder and more dignified than what we have seen in our former days. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we experience his goodness, it should open you up even more. This place should get louder and louder and louder because the glory of God is not fading. It's growing brighter and brighter and brighter. And so we should go ahead and get in on the thing that the Lord is doing and just increase. You see, our God doesn't know how to subtract or divide. He only knows how to add and multiply and so you know I've just decided you know if they can be loud and crazy for Jesus then so can I I mean we go to we go to events and football games and we go to all this other stuff and we can celebrate and shout for people that have names on jerseys how much more should we be able to shout for King Jesus as a family yeah I think I think we can do it so Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to open up our text. And so if you have your Bible, um, go ahead and open up those pages. If you have a cell phone, go tap away Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or in your hands, they're going to throw it up on the screen for you. So Acts chapter 16, 16 through 40 is going to be our text this morning. Once we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is Paul writing. She earned a great deal of money for her own by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. So what did the crowd do? They joined in and attacked Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailers were commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison. And at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Can someone say that with me? For we are all here. The jailers called for light, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved. Ironically, he asks how to be saved without a message ever being preached. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Can we pray one more time? 
Father, I ask that you would continue to do the work that you are already doing in this house. And we are grateful for it. We are so grateful that you would not just save us, but that you would engage with us, that you would invite us into a step-by-step, day-by-day relationship with you. God, I thank you that we are not alone, that you are not dead, but you are alive and you are doing something in the earth and you've asked us to be a part of it. And so with grateful hearts, with open hearts, we say, Lord, come and do what only you can do in my life right now, right here, in Jesus' name. Can someone say amen? Amen. So Glitch Wars was our theme for Summit. So just in case y'all were confused, we had District Youth Camp, and then a week right after that, we had our Youth Summit here at Northside. And I wanted to give you a little bit of context as to why we called it Glitch Wars and the premise behind it. it the heart of our, our summit is found in John chapter 17, specifically in 16, verse 16. It's a scripture found in the middle of a prayer that Jesus is praying for his disciples. You see in John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his death and kind of preparing them for the things that are to come. And then at the end of chapter 16, he pins this famous Scripture, he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And Jesus talking to his disciples in, in, in uh, chapter 16 and now in chapter 17, in the middle of talking, he changes his conversation this way and then looks up and talks to the Father. Man, isn't it good to know that Jesus prays for his disciples? That's encouraging for me, man, I'll tell you what. So Jesus talks to his disciples. He says, take courage. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus looks up and says these things. Father, the hour has come. And down in verse 13 is where we'll start. It says, this is Jesus saying to the Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. Remember, He's in front of his disciples. He just addressed them. Now he's talking to God. So the they that that he's talking to are talking about are his disciples. I, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Y'all hear that? That is a powerful statement. Jesus is telling the Father, these disciples are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, can someone just agree with me on the fact that that is a seriously bold prayer. That's a bold prayer. Jesus ties all sorts of correlations between him and his disciples. He's like, look, they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. Also, as you sent me out, I am sending them out. I love this. This is the best part, maybe the scariest part of this prayer. I pray that you do not take them out of the world. Instead, protect them while they're here. You see, he's not breaking you out of the world. No, he's keeping you in it. Jesus is sending you out the way he's, 
the Father sent him out. This is what Jesus is saying. They are like me. We're in it, but we're not of it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, Father, the way you sent me, now I'm sending them. So we can say, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this prayer is for you. The way the Father sent Jesus, now Jesus sends you. So he is not taking you out of the world. So it's like Jesus, your destination is heaven. But until that day comes, like Jesus, you are to bring heaven to earth. Jesus didn't just save you just to pluck you out so that you could escape this earth. Jesus literally said, I am not praying that you would take them out. I'm praying that you would protect them while they're still in it. Like Jesus, your destination is heaven, but until that day comes, just like Jesus, you are to bring heaven to earth. Again, he makes this bold statement. I don't want us to overread this. Jesus said, Father, as you have sent me, I send them. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. John 14.12, verily, verily, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Mark 16.15, go into the whole world and preach the gospel to all of creation. It's pretty clear and evident to me that Jesus isn't breaking you out. He is keeping you in. He is initiating you, calling you, anointing you, and then releasing you to go into the earth. So listen, Jesus is saying that I did not die on the cross to raise again, forgive you, restore you, and empower you to get you out of this world. No, please hear me. Jesus broke you out of your sin into righteousness. He came to break you out of hopelessness into his hopefulness. He came to break you out of darkness and bring you into light. Yeah, he came to break you out of Egypt and bring you into his promise. He came to break you out of shame condemnation, fear, anxiety, and complacency. He came to break you out of religion, empty dogma, and stale tradition. But he did not come to break you out of the world. He came to break us out of darkness and bring us into light, but he did not come to break us out in the world. In fact, it's just the opposite. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. He came to save it. He sent the Holy Spirit to reside, not in a building, but in a people called unto himself. Let's be very clear. Jesus is not sending angels or superheroes. He's not sending presidents or elected officials. He is sending out a free and wild and powerful people called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, we are not waiting for heaven. Heaven is waiting for us. Jesus came and did what Jesus was coming to do. And he said, I'm going to pour out and send you a helper that won't fill a building. It's going to fill your heart. And if you would allow him to burn on the inside of you, he will be with you, guide you, be your helper, and come and confirm the word of God. Paul and Silas are on mission, doing the thing that God called them to do. It's funny because... While they're on mission, they're casting out devils and doing the will of God and in the process of doing the thing God calls them to do. And if, it, if it were me and I'm on my way to prayer and on mission and there's darkness, uh, you know, being loud and obnoxious. And then like Paul turns around and says, hey, 
that spirit, that evil spirit, you've got to go in Jesus' name. And that spirit leaves. You think the revival would break through the streets, right? That would just seem like a natural thing as they're walking in, in busyness and they know this person is demonically oppressed. And then he turns around and is like, boom, I'll show you greater power. In Jesus' name, leave. She leaves and gets freed. You think people would be like, woohoo! Like, who is this Jesus? Right? That's what happens when we say yes to Jesus, right? When we go on mission and we do the thing God calls us to do, revival breaks out everywhere. That's exactly what happens, right? Can anyone say amen? Like, yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens except for you're like, no, that's not what happens. Actually, just the opposite. And Paul sets this, this lady free by the power of God and the revival doesn't come, persecution comes. And the Bible says that they were beaten, stripped naked, flogged. I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I try to put myself into the, into the space. And so Paul does this awesome work of God, and he gets a bamboo stick to the back. Just bam. They strip him naked in the middle of the courts, and they, they beat them. And then... On top of that, they take him to prison. They put him into the, the heart of the jail. And I'm not going to go into what that means, but, but the heart of a Roman prison is not a good place to be in. Like, it's not good to be in prison, period. But I'm just saying, like, the heart, the heart of this Roman prison is not a good place to be in. And oftentimes, this is encouraging to me because, because I've been just like young, these young folks. I have been the one at the altar saying, God, I'm all in. I've been there. I know what that's like. And then a couple days later, all hell seems to break loose. What encourages me about this is if that's happening to you, you're in good company. You're in good company. And it's happening to Paul and Silas here, and we look throughout the Gospels that happens to men and women of God who followed Jesus and said, yes, you just go to Hebrews chapter 11 and begin to read the chapters. We like the first half of the chapter because it's all these really good things. And we like to end the second half of the chapter. But that's where men and women of God were sawed into, torn up, fed the lions, burned at the stake, you know, died in faith. Died in faith. And so it's encouraging to me to know that, yes, when I say yes to Jesus... It seems like all hell seems to break loose. You know, when I, was a, when I was a young person, I wish someone would have told me that that's part of the process. I actually thought something was wrong with me. Like, I said yes to God, and a couple days later, things just fall apart. Maybe God really can't use me. Maybe the issue is me. Everyone says just be obedient and open up your heart, and maybe God will do it. I wish someone would have told me that if all of hell is breaking loose in your life, it's probably because you're doing something right. It's probably because you're doing something right. So the, the text here takes quite the interesting turn. The Bible says around midnight that Paul and Silas begin to praise and worship God. About midnight, they begin to pray and they begin to sing hymns to God and all the prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. I think it's worth noting 
that at midnight would be, some would say, symbolic at your darkest hour. To me, it's, I don't need to put the at midnight part. It's already pretty bad. Like you've just been stripped naked in front of all these people, beaten with rods, thrown into prison for setting someone free by the gospel. I mean, like at midnight's the cherry on top. Like, okay, I don't, I don't need that for the situation to already be rough. I'm in the heart of the prison. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas begin to worship and sing hymns to God. And the reason why this is important that we park here is because it simply means that God is worthy of our praise on our good days and on our bad days. That my outside circumstances do not determine whether I praise God or not. What gives me encouragement is that outside circumstances seem heavy and seem extremely powerful, but this is an is a evidence that Paul, from Paul and Silas and demonstrates that, that my circumstances don't control me. My situation doesn't have to control me. No, my, because my God is above my circumstance and above my situation, I can praise him. Well, even when it's good, even when it's bad, in my darkest hour and in my brightest hour, if I wake up on the right side of the bed or I don't wake up on the right side of the bed, when God says yes, I will praise him. When God says no, I will praise him. When God says nothing at all, I will praise him him. Why? Because he's God and he's worthy of it. When there's revival breaking out, I will praise him. When it seems like we're in a desert, I will praise him. When the AC goes out in the church, I will praise him. If we're going into a recession, I will praise him because my circumstances and my situations are, I may be in the world, but I am not of it. I may be in it. But I'm not of it. Paul, listen, your praise and your worship will release you and show you, elevate you above your circumstances. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. They begin to praise him. They begin to sing songs to him. And I know some of you are more like me, and I know this may be hard for you to probably grasp, but I'm introverted. I'm not a really loud person throughout the week. I'm a pretty quiet guy. And what's interesting is the Bible makes specifically clear that the other prisoners heard them. I know it may not be in your personality, but sometimes you have got to get over yourself and release your voice. Sometimes you're just going to have to say, this is not my style. I don't really like the music, but it doesn't matter because my God is worthy to be praised. Whether the genre is my style or whether I'm feeling good or not, praise does not belong to my circumstance. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. And so it won't matter where I'm at in life. It won't matter what I'm facing. I will praise him. And I'll let other people around me hear it. I think it's interesting to note, and, and preachers like to preach this message, and they like to talk about God breaking everybody out, right? That's like the, the apex the culmination, the crescendo of the story. Like, I know life's going hard, and I know you might be in your midnight hour, but if you begin to praise him and worship him, God's about to break you out. Except for it's important to note here that in their worship and prayer, nowhere in Scripture does it say anything about them asking to be broken out. Nowhere do we see them ever say, deliver us, O God. 
set us free. Nowhere do we see. That's not implied anywhere. I think we take the liberty for that, but that's not implied anywhere that God would come break us out. They just worshiped him because he's God. Oftentimes we worship God because of the things that he does for us. And friends, let me tell you, it's good to be grateful for what God does for us, but I worship him no matter what because he's God. And so they worship him and they praise him and it just so happens that the earthquake begins to shake and chains begin to get undone and cell doors begin to open. Yes, there's power in your praise. Yes, there's power in your worship. Yes, sometimes when things are going hard and you don't know what to do, the only thing you can do is praise the Lord. Absolutely, but that's not what the context of this story is. This story is not about breaking out. It's actually about God breaking them in. Let me explain. It's really easy to see this. I saw this a couple days ago. I thought, oh, my God. Gosh, if this story was about breaking out, then when the doors opened up, why didn't anyone leave? Why didn't we follow through? I don't got chains on me. The doors are wide open. Why aren't we going anywhere? Because the story isn't about God breaking them out. The story is about God breaking them in. Because there's a family in this story. If the worship team can come. There's a family in this story, the jailer and his family that did not know the precious gospel of Jesus. And so along the way, Paul and Silas doing what God called them to do. They, instead of revival, end up in a prison And in the middle of the darkest hour, they begin to worship God. And God releases an earthquake. Not to set people in prison free. But to set the one that was imprisoning them free. All of this. All of this. So that one man... And his family would know the saving grace of the gospel. This so, so much is in this story. I love it because when the jailer comes out and sees that the prison doors were open, he automatically assumes that they left. It's interesting to note that the people that were in the prison probably deserve to be there. They're probably criminals in the prison, right? And so he's like, holy cow, this is the, the most epic fail of all time. And so he gets ready to take a sword to end his life because he knows that's probably what's going to happen eventually. And I can just see it. Think of a dark prison. All the doors open. Earthquake wakes you from your sleep. And you walk in and your automatic conclusion is they're gone and I'm a dead man. And I can just see Paul step out of his prison and say, sir, hold that sword. We are all here. Could you just think about just for a moment the relief from that jailer? You think about just the, oh. 
He brings light and sees that Paul's telling the truth in the statement that he makes. He looks at him and he says, what must I do to be saved? Without ever a gospel message, a pastor or a preacher getting on a stage and preaching the Roman road. Simply, Paul and Silas's simple yes, I'm gonna do what God called me to do, which led me into this prison. And yes, I'm gonna do what God called me to do. And in the middle of all that, God shows up because he honors his word. It was that journey, it was that story that preaches the loudest. His, the jailer's conclusion was simple. It was, wow, what must I do to be saved? And then the easy stuff happens. They share with him the gospel. And the jailer and his whole family get saved. The story is not about breaking out of prison. The story is about breaking in. I submit that there could be some of you in here that you're the jailer of the family and you don't know Jesus. You don't know that he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. For some of you, you're Paul and Silas. And can I tell you that you have been working, this is what I felt the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning. You have been working really hard to break out of the thing that God has been really working really hard to break you into. And that there are, there are people, there are families that need you where you are to share the gospel. The gospel is a beautiful thing. It is the thing that saves us. It is the hope for humanity. The gospel is beautiful. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. You see, far too often we wanna talk to people's sin and we wanna talk about their behavior modification. We automatically wanna go there and we are giving people like really hard news before we ever give them the good news. Before there's any of that, you need to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus doesn't care first about the things that are going on. He cares first about their heart because he knows if he can transform the heart, the things will seem to fade away. So can we, as Paul and Silas is to our city and to our community and to our families, can we be more interested about the heart? Can we be more interested not about the prison or the circumstances or the injustice or all the craziness going on? Can we be more interested about the jailer and his family? Can we be more interested about what God is interested about. That people would hear and receive this good news that Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah, but, but I don't even believe in God. That's okay. Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah, well, I'm struggling with homosexuality. That's okay because Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah, but I'm an alcoholic. Well, guess what? The good news is still the good news. Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Yeah, well, I've messed up every relationship in my life. Guess what? Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. This is the good news. Now there's more to it. If you choose to accept this good news, he'll be your savior. 
But on top of that, he asks that he would be Lord too, which simply means if you receive this good news, this relationship, like he died for you, he now invites you to die for him. To your desires, to your will, to your ways, to your flesh, to temptation. The invitation is this, Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And in that relationship, he'll, get, he'll clean everything up and bring things into alignment, but you have to do what he did. You have to lay down your life and die for him the way he died for us. To our, to our will, to our struggle, to our thoughts, to our perspectives, to our feelings. When I give my life to Jesus, I don't get the, you know, we have this weird saying, like, well, I have the right to my own opinion. Can I be honest with you? If you're following Jesus, you don't. Your opinion's already been made up. It's found in this book right here. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Because Jesus is a king and not a president, we don't get to vote to try to change this book because we don't like it. No, no, we keep, we, Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he's calling you not to escape the world. He's calling you to be in it and to be like him. He's not trying to break you out. He's trying to break you in. I'll share this story with you and then we'll be done. There is this man by the name of Nicholas Zinzendorf. He was a Lutheran, a Lutheran priest. He got a group of Moravian Protestants together back in the 1800s, and they established a church named Hernhut. And what it means, it means the Lord's watch. And one of the characteristics of this new community, one of the interesting things about this particular community is that they dedicated their lives in this church to be a house of prayer done by shifts of people. It is written that this church had continuous prayer 24-7 for a hundred years. A hundred years. Non-stop prayer. And out of this particular community, it became a missions movement. And out of this church, they sent out Moravian brothers and sisters, Christians, to establish mission outposts all over the world, the Virgin Islands, Greenland, North America, South America, South Africa. Incredible, incredible move of the Lord. And there are these missionaries who look at the West Indies and say, you know, we've got to get there. They need the gospel. There are people out there. We got to find a way to get out there and get the gospel to them. And the problem is they're having a hard time affording a boat trip over to these islands. And really there's only one way to get there is it is a slave trade route where owners would take slaves and ship them over to this island to work. That was the way people got to these islands. And so these Moravians, these Paul and Silas's 
said, God's not trying to break me out. Woo. He's trying to break me in. So these missionaries decided the only way to get there is through the means of slavery. So sign me up. And these missionaries sold themselves into slavery and got a free ride over to preach the gospel. And according to the account, when they got on the ship, they were never heard from again. Based off of what we know, they got in that boat, they preached the gospel. They said, God's not trying to break us out of this. He's trying to break us into this. And if I could just give, God's saying, if I could just get a few people in Jackson, Tennessee to stop running and stop getting out of, stop trying to find an exit strategy out of the tension, out of the drama, out of the fight, if we could change our heart and our perspective and say, God, you're not trying to break me out, you're trying to break me in. And so I'll sign up, I'll go, I see what you're doing in the earth and what's going on in our city. I won't cower and I won't run away. Greater is he that's in me that he that's in the world I'm called to be like you so sign me up don't break me out break me in put me in the fight break me in the Bible says that he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies he doesn't get rid of your enemies he prepares a meal and he says sit down and, and feast on the faithfulness of God in the middle of the storm in the middle of darkness in the middle of trial in the middle of persecution in the middle of the divorce in the middle of fighting and arguing and chaos in the middle of it all have a seat I'm with you I'll be with you to the ends of the earth just don't try to escape this no I'm plugging you into it I'm plugging you into it Zen Zinderford is famous for this quote. Later he wrote, our mission in earth is simple. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. <laughs> Preach the gospel and die and be forgotten because the hope for humanity is not another church building. The hope for humanity is the person of Jesus Christ. And it's found in this simple statement. Hey, you know, Jesus loves you. He proved it by dying on the cross for you. He loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Thanks for joining us again. We hope today's word was a blessing to you, maybe even challenged and inspired you. We'd love to connect with you, serve you in any way. Go to mynorthside.church, click the link for us to connect. We are praying for you. We believe that God has great things in store for you. We'll see you next time.